Um, how are we doing, Eric? Everything okay on the electronics over there? How are your electronics doing this morning? Do you guys have electronics? Eh? Okay. But you know what? If you have a smartphone or a, even a dumb phone that um, <laughs> has access to the internet, I want to invite you right now to um, take it out. And if your data charges will not uh, break your back, to, to actually surf over to our church's website, which is english.hawk6.org. And you'll notice there that we have um, been updating and developing our website. And we hope it's a place that you guys will actually find as a useful resource and a place that you'll also send other people who may be interested in, in the goings-on of our church. Um, in fact, if you don't have a device or a smartphone... Um, I brought a few. <laughs> and so does anybody want to, try, want to use my iPod to, to anybody not have a thing and would like to look at a thing? Go ahead. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. The only thing is, please don't take it home. I know you're thinking, maybe Paul's going to give it to me, but I, I, I really can't afford that. But if you want to look at it for a little bit, here, why don't you take my iPod and maybe you guys can take my, my little Google thing and... <laughs> One of you guys over here can use this. And uh, if, it's okay. It, it doesn't burn. Thank you. Um, but if you guys go over there, you'll, you'll see that on Sunday uh, for our worship. What we're going to do is um, have a place where we regularly post an outline of the message that has links to the passages that we are um, talking about today. Um, and when we get the podcast recorded, we'll, or the recording recorded, we'll, we'll sync to the, connect it to the podcast. Announcements will be there. One of the reasons we're doing this is because, you know the little slip of paper you're holding in your hands, the bulletin? We'd like to not do that anymore. <laughs> because um, it's nice to save paper. And so we want to put announcements and all that kind of information on the website so you guys can see it there. And if you guys need to reference anything or check on information, you guys know it's there. So there's an outline there. Um, and if you are on the website, there's a little place where you can like it. So go ahead and tap that little heart to say that you like this. And if you guys actually want to comment on the sermon, you can definitely leave your comments there. I don't know if doing it on your smartphone is very convenient, but maybe when you go home, you can do it on, on, um, on a full browser. All right? Let's pray before we start our, our message today. And then we'll launch into it. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I don't think that we're going to say a whole lot this morning that's really new. Um, in fact, we're probably going to say a lot of stuff that is extremely familiar. Um, I think one of the things that your Holy Spirit does is to take the things that are sometimes so familiar that they've become meaningless and to infuse them with new meaning that has to do with the moment of our lives. And so, God, this morning, we are coming to your table. We're going to take communion, which is the centerpiece of our worship. And as we come to this table, may we come as we are, may we come with what we have to remember, again, your promises to us, to renew, again, our belonging in your family, God, and to come and experience your presence. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, it's, it's funny about tables. I, um, I'm a graduate student, so I end up reading a lot of like philosophy and some linguistic stuff and that kind of thing. And one of the things that you notice when you read a lot of that kind of stuff is that, that when people are searching for an example, they often use the example of a table. 
right? Like, um, I'll read a book about philosophy, and they'll be, like, questioning the phenomenology of <laughs> perception or whatever, and, like, whether an object is really there or we just think it's there, you know? And the example they always use is a table, right? Or in, like, a language book, they'll talk about, like, oh, well, when you're referencing a thing and you say it or that, you know, they'll talk about it as a table. And the reason I figured out that they always use the table as an example is because when they come up with these theories or these philosophies, they're often sitting at their desk or they're around like a seminar and they're sitting and they're looking for the first example in front of them and it's a table because you're sitting in front of a table, you know? And so there's probably been like millions of pages written about tables that really actually have uh, not a whole lot to do with tables. But that's the funny thing about, about tables. They're so easy for us to overlook, right? We use them every day. Um, <laughs> you know, when we moved, Lee and I moved to our new house this summer, the first thing that we brought over was a table, you know, and a chair so we could do stuff on it, you know? It, it, tables are just so essential to our lives and yet most of the time we don't notice them. In fact, if you notice them, it's probably a problem, right? You shouldn't be noticing your table while you're writing your paper. You should be focusing on your paper. If you're taking the SATs and all you can think about is how small this desk is, that's, that's a problem, right? It, they're such an essential part of our lives and yet we take them for granted so much. Has any, have any of you ever given thanks for a table? Probably not. Yes, some of you. Oh, yes. Sheen, because he is a crafter of tables, recognizes the intricacies of a table, right? But, um, but I think that as something that is so essential and yet that we overlook so often, a table reminds us about something really, really profound about our spiritual lives. Um, besides being useful, or maybe because they are so useful, tables also actually have different meanings beyond just the physical thing, right? They actually have a lot of meaning in the social world. And anybody who's ever planned a wedding reception knows this, yeah? You guys who have planned wedding receptions and, and, or have been involved in somebody's wedding reception and they're planning who's going to sit at what table and you draw out a big diagram and you have these little cards with everybody's name and you know that that person shouldn't sit with that person for sure, you know? And you don't want to put that relative too far away because you're going to hear about how far away they were next time you see them. And it's just... The way that you place people in tables is just such a big deal. It's such a big deal that Jesus tells this parable about the seat at the table, right? And he tells us that, you know, if you, um, if you sit at the front of the table, the head of the table, and somebody says, uh-uh, that's not your seat. Get back down to, to where you belong. That's embarrassing. So better to take a seat at the end and have somebody invite you up. It's one of those stories that Jesus tells that, that seems to have both a profound, you know, many layers of meaning, but also just good advice on, on taken at face value. And I think that, you know, in, in Chinese culture and American culture and, and culture of people in the Bible and really almost every culture, sharing a table with somebody is incredibly important, right? It's incredibly important that we, uh, uh, that we invite somebody over to dinner, right? And that it's, 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 it's this incredibly intimate and powerful thing when you share a table and a meal with somebody, right? I mean, just think about like when you started junior high and it was lunchtime and you got your lunch and you walked around just wondering, is anybody going to invite me to sit with them? And how sad it is when you just like sit by yourself at a table. <laughs> right? When you share a table with somebody, it means that you're sharing with them a sense of identity, a sense of self, right? And eating together is such an important symbolic thing of saying that we belong together. Um, and, and of course, it's all, it, it really is all about, about food, 
<laughs> right? Um, yesterday, I enjoyed one of my favorite meals. <laughs> we, were, um, we had a little meeting, uh, Denise and Dorcas, and so I said, hey, we're going to hang out with Dorcas. Can we go by Dorcas's uh, dad and mom's restaurant? Uh, which, uh, shout out to number one, <laughs> fried chicken and seafood in Oakland. If you guys have never been there, it's, uh, it's at 44, uh, 14 MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. Really awesome fried chicken and seafood. We went out there and ate and... Um, and it was just, it was so nice. It was like my favorite meal. I was telling him like, my ideal day would just be to play basketball all morning, come and eat the stuff until I was, you know, silly and then knocked out and just go home and sleep for four hours, which is kind of what I did yesterday. So if this sermon's not very good, you can blame Dan's fried chicken for being so good. Um, and, and it was such a nice thing. Uh, and of course, the big mistake I made is I told him we were coming. And so we were sitting there at the table and Dan and his wife just kept bringing out more and more food, the, the tilapia and the snapper and the oyster. It was just so good. And it was such an expression of love for them to, uh, to let us come to their place, to the restaurant, and, and, and to serve us food. It's so meaningful. And that's why when I first became a, a Christian, my friend Chris um, shared with me a passage of the Bible, a verse in the Bible that I... I stuck in my head so much that I remember it to this day. It's the, the, the verse of the Bible that was probably the first one I ever remembered and one that remains today incredibly important to me. It's one that when you really think about it, it's really startling. Let's read it together. Revelation 3.20 says, read it with me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's a startling passage because this is Jesus speaking to us. And when He says that He is coming to you, He doesn't say to you, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who will open the door, I will show them my checklist of evaluations by which they can qualify to be my followers. Right? He doesn't say, I stand at the door and knock, and I come uh, with... um, bearing gifts that I'm just going to indiscriminately give you and walk away. What he says is he says he comes to our door and he knocks and he says anyone who open the door and invite me in I will sit and eat with you. I will sit and eat with you. Think about all the meanings of eating with somebody. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to call you family. I'm going to identify with you. I'm going to, you and I are going to be tight. We're going to be like this. I'm going to come and dwell with you. I'm going to go to your most intimate place. And if your dining room is a mess, I'm going to see it. And it's okay. And I'm going to enjoy food with you. I'm going to trust the food that you bring out to me. Okay? I don't, you, you may have stuff in your fridge from four weeks ago. I'm going to eat it. Alright? And, and, and I'm going to do the, all that because you've opened the door and you've invited me in. I think the thing that we want to remember this morning is that Jesus is inviting us to dinner. No, actually, He's inviting Himself over to our house for dinner. And He's coming to our table to eat. And and, and we can't take it for granted. Okay, We've got to see how precious it is. And we've got to learn to maintain it. Because He cares about our presence at the table. And not only that, we have to realize that He cares about not only our presence, but the presence of, of everyone, including those who are lost. It's a table of His presence, but it's also a table of His people. 
And finally, we know that we come to, to the table um, on the basis of the way that He has provided, right? The way of His cross and resurrection. We come to this feast and He's taking care of the check. It's on Him, okay? So let's kind of come to the table and we begin with Exodus 25.30. I ask you to read this verse with me. Put the bread... Sorry, all together now. <laughs> Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Okay, now this comes from a passage in Exodus where they um, have left the, the, um, the slavery in Egypt and they're entering the promised land and God is starting to give them the law, the instruction of how they're supposed to live. And one of the things that He tells them is to set up the tabernacle and eventually to set up the, the temple. Okay? And the temple is where He's going to dwell. And He gives them instructions. Okay, priests, here's what you're going to do. Every day on the Sabbath, you're going to make this table and at the table, I want you to take... 12 pieces of bread. 12, of course, we know represents like the 12 tribes of Israel. And you're going to set the, the 12 pieces of bread in two stacks, and in between you're going to burn incense. All right? And we're going to call that the bread of the presence. Okay? Or if you look in some versions of the Bible, it's called the showbread, which I think is a really funny word. It's the showbread. It dances. No. <laughs> but, uh, but it kind of looks something like this. All right? And the table, of course, is laid with gold and all that kind of stuff. And what, you ha- what they were told to do is that every Sabbath, you lay out the showbread. And you set it there. Right? And you leave it there for the whole week. And the following week, you set another set of bread. Right? And then, of course, after, after the week is over, that's bread for the priests. Which is, it's weak old bread, but it's unleavened, so I think it's okay. <laughs> and they do this week after week after week. All right? And it, it's, it's, a kind of, um, it's a kind of routine that they build in. In fact, this is right in the moment when they give the instructions for how to set up the Ark of the Covenant. Which, if you guys have ever seen Indiana Jones, or if you read the Bible, you know how important the Ark of the Covenant is. And, and along with all the other instructions for the tabernacle. And all of these instructions are, quite frankly, pretty boring to read. But you really have to put your imagination into the people of Israel and imagine them setting up this this table, laying it with gold, and week after week setting out this bread and what it means to them to set out that bread. Because God called it the bread of, of the presence. And that bread symbolizes that I am with you. Right? Now, it means a lot to hear that God is with you. Right? There's always moments in your life where, where it, it's just like impacts you to hear that God is with you. But, but what God is saying here is week after week after week after week after week in perpetuity, forever. I want you to keep setting this out and I want you to keep reminding people whether they want to remember or not. Whether they realize it or not. I am here with you. Now I know that even as I say this right now some of you are starting to zone out. The fact that I've mentioned bread, some of you are already thinking about lunch. <laughs> okay? And, and I think that's okay because I think as people, we just, our attention flits and, and floats all over the place. But pause with me for a moment on the significance of this idea that week after week after week, the same routine and habit and structure of God telling them to set out this table because my presence is there. I had a I was fortunate enough to have a, a really great family. And my parents aren't Christians, but they really understood something that I think most people in the world understand, the value of eating dinner together. Uh, my, my mom and dad aren't great cooks, to be honest. I hope they didn't hear that. 
we're recording this? <laughs> they aren't great cooks, but, but they cooked every day. And they would cook, you know, bitter melon, which I never understood. Why would anyone eat bitter melon? But they cook bitter melon, and they would cook all kinds of, like, you know, spinach and all this kind of stuff. And then, of course, they had to cook a lot of meat, because they had three sons, right? And, I, you know, we would just eat them. And... and you know, every night for dinner, they would say, okay, it's dinner time, put away your drawings, turn off the TV, come and eat dinner. And so I would come and eat dinner, and my parents worked so hard to make this, like, this, all these different dishes of Chinese food, and I only wanted the meat. <laughs> I would just eat all the meat from all the, <laughs> all the dishes, and my poor mom would just eat, like, all the leftover vegetables. And you know, when I was a kid growing up, you just, I mean, you, you don't even think about it. Every night it's dinner, it's time to eat, and you eat. When I was, a, uh, when I became a teenager, it, uh, I started having things to do. I started having, um, you know, projects to work on or friends to hang out with or I had to go to church for something or whatever. And one of the things that started happening is I stopped being home for dinner. Okay? Either I had to leave to go somewhere or I had to stay out and, and I didn't come home for dinner. And what happened after a time is, is that my parents would start really, like, getting angry at me. I didn't really know what it was about. I mean, I was just doing my homework, you know. I was just working on the things that I was supposed to work on. You know, they, they said it was a good idea for me to get involved in activities. And here I was getting involved in activities. But what, what I didn't realize, and I, and, I, and I don't think I even fully understand until now that I have my own child, is that every night at, you know, 5 o'clock, my mom would start thinking, it's time to prepare dinner with my, my, my kids. And she would get out that stove and she would chop up the vegetables and she would cook all the stuff and she would rem- remember, just, she remembered when she went to the grocery store, Paul likes this kind of meat and not that kind of meat. And she would buy it, she would bring it home and she would cook it. And she, they would work so hard to cook it and then they would set the table out and they would set a spot for me. And then they would lay out all the food. And then I wouldn't be there. And then maybe the next night, do the same thing. They'd set the table out. And then I wouldn't be there. And this happened so much that, you know, we'd get into fights. And it was about whatever, my car or grades or whatever, nothing, right? And my mom would start to say to me, I don't even know who you are anymore. And I'd be like... What do you mean you don't know who I am? It's not even like when we got together to have dinner. It's not even like we talked. My parents didn't ask me questions. You know, we're Chinese family, right? They just like, eat your food, you know? <laughs> like, can I watch TV? No. Why? We're not, even, we're not even talking. You don't even ask me anything. You don't care about my day. You don't ask me about school unless I get an F, you know, like, or B, right? Like, you know, we're not even talking about anything, you know? What? You're not even interested in me. But I think that the way that my mom meant that I don't, I don't even know you anymore. It's not about knowing what I'm doing right now or what I'm thinking about right now. It's about a kind of presence. I am her son. She gave birth to me and from the day I was born she fed me night after night after night after night. And all she asks for is my presence. Sometimes the traditions and the structures and the routines of faith can get really, really kind of old. And we reach stages in our life when other things become really, really important. But week after week, God sets a table for us. And what He promises is His presence. He says, I'm waiting here at the table for you. You know, to this day, whenever I go home to my mom's house, the first thing I do is raid the pantry, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, hi mom. <laughs> you know? And, 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 and that's very much a picture of what God is like. 
we go through all these stages of our life where we change and different things become important to us. And meanwhile, week after week, he sets up these structures, these routines, these traditions of really just saying to us, I'm here with you. Okay? I, I think that as we start this new year, um, it, it's probably worth reflecting on whether or not our passion for our God needs to be rekindled, needs to be set on fire again. He wants to sit with you. In fact, He, he, he gives us you know, these commands to give us what, what I think of as, it's, I think it's a pretty cool idea. There's structures of love. It's like He builds a room of mercy. It's like God, as an architect, created, wants to create these places for you to come and just be with Him. And I think the question to ask ourselves is, are we so busy that we haven't come home for dinner with God in a long, long, long time? And I want to encourage you that if you haven't, and if you're even not sure how to do that, or if you have these structures, you go to church every Sunday, but it's just not really helping you connect with God, that you, um, you know, and, and you know it has to do with reading the scriptures, it has to do with prayer, and it has to do with worship, and all that kind of stuff, but that you find a spiritual mentor, or you join a Sunday school class, you, you find a community of people who can help you. And I really encourage you to establish that structure of loving Him. That place the table of His presence. Um, Our church, we announced last week that um, we're aiming, we're building, we're working toward, on on March 24th, which is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, changing our worship time to 9 o'clock. Now, we've been calling it the Sunday time change, and Denise pointed out to me this week that that's not a very exciting name. Hey, guys, let's rev up for the Sunday time change. So, it's like, all right. Um, so let's change the metaphor. It's not even a metaphor. That's, it's terrible. Okay? But what, are, what exactly are we preparing ourselves for? What are we revving up for? What are we hoping happens on Easter Sunday? Well, here's what I hope happens. I hope that we are setting the table for God's presence. How's that sound? I mean, we're going to move to the other room. We're going to meet at 9 o'clock. And I just, want, I, I just want you to imagine if you've ever been in that room. But different. Because what we're going to do, I think, is we're not, we don't have as many people. So we don't have to lay the chairs out quite the same way. So I think we're going to try to make something like a U formation. Right? Some chairs on the side, some chairs on the side, and some chairs here. And of course, we're going to have the stage where the speaker and the worship team is. But that's not going to be the center of our attention. The center of our attention, we're going to have a table right in the middle there. And a lot of times that table is going to have this bread and this cup. Other times the table will have some candles. I was going to say fire, but that would be awesome. Like, right? But like some candles or a cross or whatever. To remind us that when we come in here for this hour, we're coming here to the table of the Lord. We're coming here for His presence. That's what it's all about. And I want our kids to be able to sing with us. You know, we have our kids kind of in the back corner right now. I want our kids to be able to hang out in that front area and to be able to, to sing and dance when we sing. And, and, and then uh, when it's time for the sermon and Paul's talking, we'll have them go do something more fun. <laughs> but that's kind of the idea, is, is that we want to set up a structure of setting a table of God's presence for us and also for other people that we want to bring into, our, in, into His presence. Okay? And so I really want to encourage you to keep us in, in prayer and then to get involved. There's lots of things that we need help with. Rides, um, the welcoming team, being part of the worship team, setting up the sound. Um, 
Think of it as, as a community, let's set a table for God's presence so that we can commune with Him together and so that we can bring others to the table. Right? Which brings us kind of to the second point, that it's a table of His presence, but it's also a table of His people. Let's read this one together. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us this a strange and somewhat ridiculous story in Matthew 22. Okay? Come with me on this story. There's a king. And the king's son is getting married. Alright? Now, I get the sense, he doesn't say this, but I get the sense that he's not a terribly popular king. And maybe even the son is not even that popular. He's not Harry, he's... Who's the other son? William? Yeah, he's like not as cool, right? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> he's got a son and he's getting married, right? And, and the king's son getting married is, of course, a big deal. So he gets all his servants and he says, I would like you to take these invitations and send them out to all the people that you would invite to a king's son wedding. I mean, I, I don't know. I imagine it's like dukes or a bunch of, uh, I don't know, duchesses or whatever, or noblemen or lords or whatever. So <laughs> that's anachronistic. All right, anyways, he says, send out these invitations. And what, what, what Jesus says is that these servants go out and they bring the invitation. The king's son is having a wedding banquet. You're invited. The king's son is having a wedding banquet. You're invited. And rather than responding with, oh, I'll be there, what they do is they <laughs> tear up the invitation or they go on with their business or some of them, it's, it, this is, seems strange to me, some of them take the servants who brought the invitation and they kill them, right? That's like so strange, but that's how much they, that's how much they don't want to go to this wedding. It's like, hey, you've been inviting this wedding banquet. No! <laughs> it's like, what, what is that? I mean, like if I sent you an evite, and you responded by sending me a virus. Like, what, what, what the heck is going on? So, so the king obviously is not too happy about this. So he burns down all the, the, the houses of the people who did this to his servants. And then he says, all right then. Servants, here's what I want you to do. Go out into the streets. And anyone if you can find, if they have a mouth and can eat, bring them to this banquet. Because when my son has his wedding, this banquet hall is going to be filled. Okay? And so the servants are like, all right. So they go out there and they go, hey, uh, you, you, are you hungry? <laughs> Wedding banquet for the, the king's son. Welcome, right? You, you. And they just pass out invitations indiscriminately, right? And then all these people start coming through the door and the king's like, all right, this is the banquet I was looking for. You know, all kinds of, you know, the rich people and the riffraffs, you know, and the, the wise scholars and the, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, crazy people or whatever, all just in the same room together for this banquet. And then Jesus tells this funny part of the story, I think, which is that then the king comes in and he's like, oh, cool, I got my, my, my wedding banquet. Tons of people here. Everybody loves me. And then he sees this guy who's not dressed for a wedding. And he says, hey, you're not dressed for the wedding banquet. This is a wedding banquet. And the guy's like, oh, uh, huh? <laughs> Jesus says he was speechless. So the king goes, servants, come and take this guy and throw him out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> And so they go, okay, let's just throw them out. You know? And that's the end of the story, right? And it's another one of those Jesus stories that's kind of like, like, what the heck? You know, like, but, but I think there's a very, very profound point to the story. Okay? And, and the point of the story is that God is holding a grand feast. But that feast is not populated with the usual suspects. Right? It's not populated with the smart the rich, the elite, 
the religious. It's not that he doesn't love those people, but a whole, a whole lot of them don't, don't love him a whole lot. <laughs> they took his, his invitation and tore it up. And so he invites all kinds of people, anybody, whatever their status or their origin or their background. But if we come, we better know what we're coming to. If we come, we better be aware that we're coming to the grand feast of the great King of Kings. Because if we just show up for the food, we're going to get thrown out. <laughs> right? And, and I think the way to think about this is that, is that God, and, and, and in His kingdom, always has a wide invitation. But as Jesus says, the point of this story, it, it's a wide open invitation, but, but only a few are part of the banquet. And that few is not just a particular section of people. Not just people who have good morals, or not just people who are smart enough to understand it, or not just people who have their act together or have good self-control. Not a particular kind of person. Only that the people know the banquet that they're coming to. And, and I think you can see the, the, the meaning of this story so clearly in Jesus' ministry. Um, Whenever I think about Jesus' ministry, I, th- I think probably my favorite thing about Jesus' ministry, and something that's just undisputedly true, even historians who, don't, who are skeptical about Jesus dying on the cross or, or raising from the dead, probably acknowledge, acknowledge that this is probably true. That, that the thing that Jesus did in his public ministry was what they call table fellowship with sinners. He would go over to people's houses and eat with them. And I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about all kinds of people. Jesus would go to the houses of, of prostitutes, known prostitutes. Right? Would any of you ever be caught in the home of a prostitute? If I catch you there, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? I wouldn't want to be caught there. He would go to the houses of tax collectors, which doesn't mean a lot to us, but, but we know we're kind of outcasts in their society. And, and... Jesus would also go to the house of religious teachers and Pharisees. And some of them invited them, him to their house because, because uh, they wanted to listen to him. But others wanted to invite them, him over so that they could judge him. And he would go there and eat with them. But he would, he would know what was in their hearts. But the point is that Jesus ate with all kinds of people. Right? And, and I think that's an incredibly important aspect of his ministry that we can't overlook. And I think that that there's an incredible truth about who God is and what He's like in that fact. Okay? Now, I actually have a little, uh, some sense of, of what this is like. Okay? And in the example I'm about to give, I will compare myself to Jesus so you can all prepare to roll your eyes right now. <laughs> right? But uh, when I taught high school, um, I, I didn't like to go to the teacher's lunchroom. It was just really the place for old, bitter teachers to complain. I liked to, um, I liked to eat in my own classroom and I always opened my door whenever I could. And because I taught very different levels of classes, very different kinds of students would eat lunch in my classroom, right? And, you know, my school was just like any other school. You had all of the different groups of people, right? You had, like, the smarty kids that were getting ready to go to college, and then you had, like, the gangsters in their area of the, the school. Well, they're one set of gangsters and the other set of gangsters and they're separate areas of the school. And then you had, like, you know, the band nerds and the athletes and all this kind of stuff. And, and as a teacher, since I had all these different classes, like, it was cool. Like, in my lunch, I would be uh, eating lunch and I'd see my classroom and, you know, over here was, like, the Filipino club. 
And over here was like a couple of sureños who just like to hang out in my room, you know? And over here was like two, this two weird kids who found each other and were making out in the corner and I had to tell them to stop. <laughs> and, it was just, and then there would be some kid coming in like bugging me about, oh, can I get in, help me get into that honors class? And it was just like this crazy hodgepodge of people. And, and I really enjoyed that. I loved that. I loved eating lunch in kind of the thick of all these very different kinds of people. But anyone who I hung out in my classroom also learned really quick that you could be any kind of person to hang out in, in my room. But the one thing that you couldn't do, you couldn't talk about the people on the other side of the room. Talk bad about them. Okay? You couldn't look down on the activity that somebody was working on over here. You couldn't be gossiping about this person or, or commenting about that person's clothing. Because if you did, I would have some words with you. Right? And... And what people understood is that if I let you in here, uh, that I'll let you in here no matter who you are, right? And, uh, and I'll, I want to be here with you. I want to eat lunch with you. But if you're going to be in here, you're going to let everyone else be in here too. And I think God's that way about His kingdom, right? Is that in our churches, sometimes we get very monoculture, Right? What I mean by that is like we all start to act and, and think like there are only certain ways to know God or certain ways to relate to God or certain ways to, to follow God. Now, it is true that there are things that God wants us to learn. There's ways that He wants us to change. I'm not saying that there's, there's, not, there's not ways that we have to learn to be different. But none of us comes to God's table already complete. None of us comes to this bread and cup already proper. In fact, the one thing that Jesus requires is that we know that there's nothing in ourselves. That the only reason we get to participate in this feast is because He invited us to. Because He wants us. Not because you're better than somebody else. Not because you accomplished something that somebody else didn't. And when we come to the table... We always have to recognize that this is the table that we're participating in. This verse that um, we read... Sorry, that's the wrong verse. <laughs> uh, this... Uh, oh. Did we not... No. Oh, actually, that is the right verse. I'm sorry. That's not Exodus 25:30. That's uh, Matthew chapter 8. Um, the verse that we read comes in a context where Jesus is... Um, uh, this centurion has sent word to Jesus saying, Hey, Jesus, one of my servants is paralyzed and suffering. Can you heal him? And Jesus is like, Do you want me to go over there? And the guy, that sounds terrible. You want me to go over there? No, okay. <laughs> He's starting a fight. No, he says, Do you want me to go over there and, and take a look at your servant? Okay, now, remember this about a centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier, which means he's not a Jew, right? Jesus is coming as a, the king of the Jews, okay? He's coming to the Jewish people, all right? And this centurion says, you know what? You, um, look, I'm, I, I have servants and I command a lot of people. And if I tell my servant, servant go, then they'll go. I don't even have to go myself. And he says, Jesus, I, I don't know if I'm worthy to have you under my roof. But if you just say the word, I know that you can heal my servant. And you know what Jesus says? He says, oh my gosh, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. I've been hanging out with God's people my whole life. And this person who is supposedly outside of God's people has more faith than any of them. And that's when he remarks this. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west 
and will take their places at the feast. I love that picture. I mean, for those of us who come from the East, <laughs> that's an awesome thing, right? Or even those of us who live in the West, that's an awesome thing. I'm sorry, I don't know where I'm going. It's this picture, it's this idea that there's people, that at God's table, there's, there's people from here and there's people from there. There's people from everywhere. And God wants them at His table with Him. Okay? Now here's where, here's where um, the challenge is for us. I want you to think about the people in your life that you encounter at work and at school, um, in your family. And I want you to think of how many of those people you have uninvited from God's feast. What I mean is that in your mind, you've already written them off. They'll never become a Christian. Uh, they never want to go to church. They never want to come to this church. <laughs> they wouldn't fit in at church. They're not interested. They're too smart to be a Christian. They're too immoral to be a Christian. They're too free. They, too, they like their lifestyle too much to become a Christian. And if you really think about it, how, much, how many people have you written off? If I'm very honest, many, many people. I've done that to many, many people. Including people in this room. <laughs> Alright? And yet, and yet, whenever God calibrates my understanding, my expectation of this feast, He says, Hey Paul, come over. I have a, I'm going to have a party. Come on over to the party. And I have a picture in my mind. Who's going to be at the party? Billy Graham is going to be at the party. St. Paul and me. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he, over the phone he tells me, Here's who I invited. Right? And he just lists off all these people that I just never thought. No way. No way. One of the things that we um, try to do as a community is something that we call mustard seed prayer. And I've been promoting this up here a lot. I think it's starting to happen. I hope that it happens more and more among you guys. And it's where we regularly pray for people in our lives who are not Christians. I want to challenge you to, let, to, to say this to God. God, whoever you want me to pray for, Whoever, no, whoever, whoever you want me to pray for, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for that person to be blessed. I'm going to pray for that person to know your presence in, your, in, in their lives. I'm going to pray for that person to know you. Okay? And I think he would be okay with me saying this, but I've shared this before, but when we did mustard seed in the past, my wife, right on cue, <laughs> my wife brought up a, a, a in her prayers, a co-worker of hers that we've been friends with for a while now. And this co-worker of, of hers, um, his parents were union organizers and he's always been, you know, very like liberal thinker and he's the kind of person who is really into Buddhism and, and, and very progressive in his thinking and a very cool teacher. I mean, we really, we really liked um, this family. And, and Elaine just prayed for prayed for him and his wife for, for years. And all of a sudden one day we had him over for dinner and out of the blue his, his wife just says, Hey you guys are Christians, right? Can you tell me a little bit about what Christianity is about? I was like, what? <laughs> and it was crazy. And what happened was she became interested in Christianity for whatever reason. And she started going to a church and they found a church and he started going too and he didn't know if he believed and was kind of reluctant at first and all those kind of issues about homosexuality and, and various political issues and all these different barriers and hindrances to his faith. And just over time, he, he became convinced that, that God was real and that, that Christ was the way. And he's now a Christian. 
In fact, he just texted me this morning to see if we wanted to get together. And it's so, I can't tell you how weird it is to get together with a friend who you used to be afraid of talking about Jesus with because you didn't want to offend him. And then to say to that friend when you get together, how can I pray for you? And to have him say back, how can I pray for you? I mean, I can't tell you how amazing that is. Because God is, is just extravagant in his feast. He really wants all kinds And I think he's asking us, will we pray for the people around us that he wants to to touch? Will we be part of what he's doing um, in in bringing his people to the table? Finally, and this brings us to the last part of our service. It's a table of his presence. It's a table of his people. It's also a table of his promise. It's a table of his promise. Let's read this verse together. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Have you ever been insecure about whether or not you had the right to eat with someone? There was one time that Elaine and I... We, Elaine and I have been to a lot of weddings, right? And as you get through your 20s, you also will go through a lot of weddings. One time we went to a wedding, and I didn't realize until I got there that I wasn't sure if I had RSVP'd. <laughs> and that's like the worst feeling. I mean, has anybody ever done that before? Right, I'm the only one, because you would never do that. You would never show up to a wedding without RSVPing, or even knowing if you've RSVPed. And, and I can't tell you how insecure I felt. I mean, I, I went into the church, I sat there in the church, and I kept thinking, am I allowed to sit? Do they know I'm going to be here? Like, am I allowed to take the seat, you know? And then we went to the reception, and that was even worse. You know, I was, I was actually thinking about bailing. I was like, I'm not going to go, we can't go to the reception. I don't know if they would know that we're coming. I don't know if I sent in the card, you know? And, and, and so we went to the reception, and you know, we were like all standing in line for the place where they hand out the little cards to tell you where you're going to sit. I was so nervous. It was like, it was like I was like going to, like, you know, taking a, uh, an AIDS test or something like that. I like, get to the front. Like, Sorry, you're not on the list. Oh, like, I'd be so crushed. And, um, and we got there, and it turned out that I had RSVP'd. For me, <laughs> one person had RSVP'd. And I hadn't mentioned that I was bringing my wife, and, and I think Eden was born. No, actually, she wasn't born. I hadn't mentioned I was bringing my wife, so it was just like, Paul, and then now Elaine doesn't have a card, and then I just felt so terrible. Like, part of me was like, oh, okay, I they know I'm here. But then I was like, oh, uh, sorry, honey. <laughs> Go outside, I'll see you later. You know? I don't know what to do. And so, um, and so I asked the people, and they were like, no, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You know, just, we'll, we'll put an extra seat for her, and I was kind of, I felt so bad, and I just couldn't face Elaine. And they set up an extra table for them, and I just felt so horrible. And every bite that I I took of like the salad. I was like, "Oh, this is I don't deserve this salad." <laughs> you know? I wasn't really invited here, you know. Or I just could have like, "Oh man!" Until until it was time for the uh, bride and the groom to go around and toast all the tables, and they came to our table, and I was like, "I'm uh, I'm sorry. I I think I never said in the arms. I don't know." And they were like, "Paul, don't worry about it. Just have fun, okay? Just relax." And when they said that. I was invited, in fact, invited to the party, and my wife was invited to the party. It just changed everything. Then I could just dance, right? I think that sometimes we come to this, 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 this feast that we are to have with God, and we are unsure about our status. We know we were invited, but maybe we forgot to send in the card. We feel a, a certain bit of insecurity. There's a certain reservation about us. We're, we, we, we have to hold back a little bit from, from really enjoying 
what this feast is. Because we're not totally sure that we belong. We look at other people in the church. They definitely send in their card. (laughs) They definitely are on the list. But I I don't know. Am Am I really one of them? Am I really one of these people who gets to sit and eat with the king? Am I really allowed to be here at the banquet table? I think all of us have been there at some point. And so for all of us, I want to remind us, never forget that Jesus ate with sinners. Never forget that Jesus ate with sinners. In fact, when he was interrogated about that, when people said, hey, you're supposed to be a religious teacher, why are you eating with those people? Do you remember what Jesus responded? He said, I didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the complete. It's not the put together. It's the sick. That's who I came for. This, this verse that, that we look at, it happens in the resurrection. It's actually, this isn't the communion. This isn't the Lord's Supper. This is later after He's risen. And his disciples already experienced the Lord's Supper, right? And they, they find out, he, you know, they, they go through the whole crucifixion and they're really unsure what's going to happen now. And they start getting these stirrings that Jesus has risen or that something is going on. And, that, and then Jesus is there among them and they're unsure. Is this really him? Is he really back here with us? And he walks with them and he talks with them. And then finally, it's when they sit at the table. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He takes a piece of bread. This is so typically Jesus. He takes a piece of bread. He goes, oh, bread. Father, thank you for bread. And then he breaks it. And he shares the bread with everybody. And it's at that moment when Jesus does all that, in these resurrection appearances, that they recognize Oh my gosh, it's Him. He's really risen. He's really here, eating with us. And I think that the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper, the communion, the table, so that we come every Sunday, uh, that we take it. <laughs> I wish it was every Sunday. And we remember what He's done for us. But I think it's, it's also really, really significant that he picked this thing of bread because anywhere you go, everywhere you are, whatever day of the week it is, and whatever condition you are in, any time that you eat, you can remember that he breaks the bread and he distributes it to you. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about a promise that is not conditional. I'm talking about a promise that is not conditional. Whatever your status and wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, He wants to dine with you. And He promises that on the basis of His blood, not on what you've done, He wants to dine with you. I I, I guess I'll put it this way. Maybe this will help. Do you guys watch um, TV shows? Do you guys watch Modern Family? Well, actually, the internet I just started watching another show, Parenthood. Anybody see Parenthood? Kind of a fun show. Anyway, um, there's like many, many, it's like an ensemble cast. There's many, many characters, and they're all going through their different adventures. And they all have separate storylines, right? Haley's got this storyline, and, and uh, my favorite character is Phil Dunphy has a storyline. They all have these different storylines, right? But always at the end of the episode, what happens? Anybody know? A family gets together, right? 
something. It's dinner, or they're going to the pool, or they're watching somebody's game, or something like that. The family always gets together. Same thing with, with parenthood, right? And I think what's so interesting is that when you watch the show, you always know everything that's been happening to bring the people to the point where they're there at the meal together. They don't necessarily know, right? Phil doesn't necessarily know everything that Cam has gone through, right? But you know everything that's happened. And sometimes it's really funny when they get together because you realize, oh, he's been through something and she's been through something and he's got a storyline and she's got a storyline and they don't even realize all the funny, crazy or whatever things that they've been through. But they come together at the table and here they are, a family all together again. Right? I think sometimes what happens when we come and take communion is that just because the other people in this room don't know where you've been the rest of the week or the rest of the month, we assume that it has nothing to do with this table. We assume that we just all have our own separate storylines and that this right here and what happens in here is not connected to that conversation that you've been having on Facebook. It's not connected to the drama that you've been having with those girls. It's not connected to the struggles that you've been feeling at work or the tension you've been feeling in your home or the loneliness that you've been feeling as you drive or the things that have been going through your mind that you've been hoping for or steaming about or whatever as you're in the shower. We think that, that it's disconnected. But God knows the storyline, the whole storyline of all our lives. And even though when we come and take the bread and the cup together in unity, I may not know what you've been through, and I don't know what your sins are, and I don't know what your struggles are, and I don't know what, what disappointments you have or what hopes you have, God knows. God knows. And what is His response? He invites us to come and take the bread and the cup. Wherever your life is leading you, whatever has been going on with you, He invites your presence with Him. So we're going to take the communion now. And as we do, I want to encourage you to take uh, to heart the things that, 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 um, that we've been talking about. If it's been a long time since you've come to the table, if you have, um, if you have been uncertain whether or not he really wants you there. Get that thought out of your head. Right? It's time. It's time. And the basis by which we come is not our goodness, not our faithfulness, but the bread and the cup, His body and His blood poured out for us. Right? And then let's come to the table together. Let's come to the table carrying in our hearts the voices the faces of those people that God has surrounded us with who He wants also to come to this feast. Amen? Alright, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we um, thank You for um, the table that You have welcomed us to. We thank You that we can come together and um, just immerse ourselves in Your presence. We thank You that You have words of encouragement to speak to us and words of correction, words of love and words of, of confirmation, words that tell us that you are with us, words that tell us how to live a life that's abundant and fruitful. Sorry, God, that we 
um, have made ourselves too busy to have dinner with you. And I pray that you would help us to put the structures in place to set up the table that allows us to dine with you. And Heavenly Father, we also pray that um, you would bring other people in our lives to the table. Lord, don't let the, the coldness and narrowness of our vision and our hearts be the hindrance to those people in our lives that you want to show your love to and that you want to bring here. Instead, turn us around to be vessels of prayer and of grace for those people. Thank you, Lord, for this bread and this cup. As we take it, we remember what you did for us. We remember the covenant of peace that you've made with us. In Luke 22, it says that when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, which in our case today is encapsulated in this little cover. (laughs) He took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Um, Let's take a moment to prepare ourselves for taking the bread and the cup. Listen, if you have never um, prayed before, or if you don't know who Jesus is, I want you to take this time to hear a sound that maybe you've never heard before. It's the sound of a knocking on your heart. Somebody knocking on the door of you and saying, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want you to know my love. I want to teach you how to live. But in order for that to happen, you have to recognize that just like everyone else in the world, You're a sinner, and you need forgiveness. And I want you to hear Jesus saying, Look, check this out. I'm standing at your door, and I'm knocking. And if you will open the door, I will come in, and I will eat with you. I will be your friend. I will be your Savior. I will be your Lord and Master. And if you've never asked Him into your heart before, He promises that when you invite Him in, He opens the door. So if you've never um, accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this morning I want to encourage you to just pray in your heart and just to say, Lord Jesus, I I want to know You. I know I'm a sinner and, and I want to ask You to forgive my sin. We know that He forgives our sin on the basis of what He's done for us by dying for us on the cross and being risen again. And so even if you don't understand completely what that means, just say, I trust you. I trust that you have forgiven my sins because you've taken their consequences on the cross. And then to say, I want to invite you into my heart. And if you say that, it's done. Your sins are forgiven. And He's with you right now. And for all of us who have prayed that prayer before and yet have forgotten the truth, Let's take the bread and the cup and let's remember. Okay? All right. 
worship team is going to lead us in a song. I want to encourage you to come up and take a, a bread and cup and take it back to your seat, and then we'll take it together. Okay, Dean, will you help me out with this?